The following message was recorded at Christ Church in Bartlett, Tennessee. For more information about Christ Church, visit www.ccbartlett.org. I'm excited. We, you know, we've been doing this series, Unexpected, when God chooses unexpected people and unexpected circumstances. And, and we started the first week talking about unexpected family. We, if you look in Matthew chapter 1, if you look in that, fir- that first gospel, the first chapter, it starts with a genealogy. It starts with telling you about the family of Jesus, who he came from. And that family is not the family you would have put together for the Savior of the world. That is not the family you would have put together for a king, for royalty like he is. You wouldn't have done that. And that's, that's a remarkable uh, story right there at the start of Matthew chapter one is look where he came from. And it's a picture of look who he came for. That's the picture of that. And so we're, we're walking through, we're just picking out people from his family line there in Matthew chapter one. And we're looking a little bit closer at their story. They're really unexpected story. So last week we talked about Rahab. We talked about God's unexpected solutions that we have a God of infinite creative power who's not limited by anything who can create solutions out of nothing for us which is what he did by sending his son and it's what he does for us day in and day out those of us following Jesus and so today we're going to talk about an unexpected work now real quick let's do an exercise together on the count of three we're going to say it in unison because we're all going to have the same answer what is the best Christmas movie ever made? On the count of three. Here we go. One, two, three. It's a wonderful life. Thank you, thank you, thank you. All right. If your neighbor said anything else, in the name of the Lord, slap them. Uh, it is, it's a wonderful life. Uh, you know what? I'll accept a secondary answer if you said die hard. It is a Christmas movie. It happens on Christmas. It's a Christmas movie. Anyway, one of the things about It's a Wonderful Life, not only is it, it's my favorite Christmas movie, it's also one of my favorite movies, period. Uh, if you don't know the story, where have you been? Uh, but George Bailey, um, basically, he, he, uh, he wants to kill himself. And, and this angel appears, and, and he gets this opportunity to be shown what the world would be like if he wasn't around. To show what the world would be like, the relationships he has. How would people be affected if he was never born? And so as he sees, like, apparently he's had a wonderful life. Apparently it would have been very detrimental to so many different people in his life. His brother would have died. Spoiler alert. His brother would have died. Like all these people would have lost their homes. Like the town would have been terrible without him. This evil old man completely unchecked would have torn the town apart, right? Like it was, he, he has an extraordinary life. And you know, I, have you ever thought about that? What would happen if you weren't born? I know my parents have thought about that about me a lot, but like, what, have you ever thought about that? What would happen if you weren't born? Because here's the thing. Sometimes we think about our lives and maybe we think that they're pretty ordinary. They're pretty mundane. I, there, I was listening to this podcast and this guy described his life in this way. He said, I am the midpoint of the American populace. He said, there is nothing special about me. I'm average. And he says, I've got, I've got a family. I've got 2.5 kids. I live in the suburbs. I do barbecues on the weekend. Like there's nothing spectacular. And let me 
Let me say something to you. Jesus did not die to bring us the mediocre, the mundane. He did not die to bring us the American dream. He says, I've come to give you life and life to the full, which means that God is calling you. Are you a follower of Jesus? Then he's calling you to something extraordinary, something bigger than yourself. He's calling you. You have been called by God to do extraordinary God-sized things. And you say, well, okay, yeah, preachers have, pastors have ministers have no no no. you are a minister if you are a follower of Jesus you have been called by God to do extraordinary God-sized things and if you don't believe me and you shouldn't just believe me but if you don't look at the scriptures John 14 listen to what Jesus says I tell you the truth anyone who believes in me will do the same works I've done and even greater works because I'm going to be with the father you can ask for anything in my name and I'll do it so that the son can bring glory to the father yes ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. We can see God do things that we pray for. And not only that, we get to do greater works, which means that we get to participate in God bringing people from death to life, from spiritual death to life. We get to participate in God saving people. That's an extraordinary work. You were created for this. If Again, if you don't believe me, look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You, as a follower of Jesus, were made for good works. You were made for more than just living, for more than just surviving, for more than just making it. You were made for good works. He shaped you and he made you and he gave you influence and he surrounded you with a certain group of people. You were made and placed by God for good works. And he made those good works that he prepared you for, he prepared them beforehand. Before there was a before, he prepared them. You were destined for this. You were made to do these extraordinary things. And so you are called, what are you doing with your call? And look, I don't know what that call specifically looks like. You could walk up to me after the service and say, wow, this is really powerful. I'm really inspired. I'm, I'm ready to go do something. What should I do? I don't know. I don't know. I do know that it's going to be something that is God-centered, that is about his work. And I do know that's going to be something that you can't do on your own, that it's something that you're going to have to trust God for. But I don't know what it is specifically. Maybe you do. Maybe God's calling you to mentor somebody to reach out to somebody, to disciple somebody. Maybe he's calling you to be generous or to mend a relationship or to serve someone who hates you or to share Jesus with a coworker or to disciple your child or trust him in a situation where you can't see a solution. I do not know. But he has absolutely called you. He hasn't called anybody in this room to mediocre life. He hasn't called anybody in this room to just go live in the suburbs with 2.5 kids. I've never understood that. Is that two kids and then is that the top half or the bottom half? Like what is left? I don't know. But anyway... He hasn't called us to that. He has called us to an extraordinary life. He hasn't called you just to be a church member, to participate in the work of the ministry. He's called you to be the ministers, to be the work of the ministry. What internal impact are you making? Because he's called us all to participate in his kingdom work. The kingdom work of, remember, setting captives free, of of bringing the dead to life. And so what are you doing with your call? And maybe you know what to do. Maybe you're going, you know what? I know exactly what I'm supposed to do. I know the Lord wants me to do this. I know he wants me to reach out to this person. I know he wants me to get involved in this. I know he wants me to step out in faith and do this. If you've got that in your brain, what's that whisper of doubt saying to you right now? What's it saying? It's saying that, what could you possibly do? 
Like think about how great of an obstacle this is in front of you. How in the world can you even imagine or even begin to imagine making an impact? What could you really do to bring a change here? You know what? That sounds a lot like Zerubbabel, and that's who we're looking at today. And forgive me, I say his name like a, a million different ways. Uh, so if I say like Zerubbabel or whatever, but I'm gonna try to say Zerubbabel. But we're gonna look at Zerubbabel. If, in Matthew chapter one, verse 13, we see him in the lineage of Jesus. So if you have a Bible, we're gonna go to a book of the Bible that maybe you are not sure is there, but I assure you it is. It's Haggai, Haggai. Um, so if you need, a, if you want a, a Bible, there might be some under your chairs. So you can follow along there. There's a table of contents in the front. No shame in your game. That's what it's there for. Uh, look at Haggai. If you have a, a smartphone or whatever, you can follow along. As you turn to Haggai, let me, let me give you some context. So, so what's happened is Babylon has come in. They've conquered uh, Israel, and they've destroyed the temple that Solomon built, this temple where they met with God, this incredible, beautiful temple. Um, Cyrus the Persian has come in. He's defeated the Babylonians. The Persians have defeated the Babylonians um, as, as God foretold that it would happen. And Cyrus comes in, and he says, you know what? Uh, Israel, you can return uh, to your land and you can even rebuild your temple. Go ahead and rebuild your temple for worship. And look there in verse one. This is a message of the Lord through the prophet of Haggai to Zerubbabel and the people of God. Look there in verse one, uh, chapter one, verse two. Thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. What God is saying is that my people, they've been given permission by Cyrus to return and to rebuild. They're not interested. They're busy with other things. And look at verse 8. God says, go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it, that I may be glorified, says the Lord. So God says, get to work. You haven't been interested. You don't think it's the time. I'm telling you it's the time. Go get to work. And look at the people's response. Skip down to verse 14. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. So they got to work. They listened to God. They obeyed God. And they said, you know what? You're right. We're going to rebuild the temple. Let's go. Let's do this. But then look in chapter 2, verse 2 through 3. Look at what the Lord says again. Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to all the remnant of Israel, of the, of the people, and say, Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it nothing in your eyes? The Lord knew what they were thinking. They were obedient. They said, you know what? Let's start building this temple. No big deal. And as they build it, they're looking around and they almost despair. They see the foundation and they're like, can we really do this? I mean, look at this. We're putting just stone on stone. Do you remember what it looked like before this? When we built our house uh, eight or nine years ago, whenever the housing bubble like popped, like we were on top of that bubble. And so when we built that house, whenever that happened, I remember going out there and when they laid the foundation, we were so excited. We were gonna go out and we're gonna see the foundation of the house we're building. And we go out and we stand on that foundation. And I was like, I think I can touch uh, if they just put up walls, I think I could touch from one side of our house to the other. Like I, I would just, I remember seeing it and just being so disheartened. That's what they're doing. They see this foundation. They're like, it's, can we really do this? I mean, think about it. He says, do you guys remember the splendor of Solomon's temple? And they did. I mean, think about Solomon's temple, 3,000 tons of gold. 
were put into that temple. 30,000 tons of silver were used. It was almost five stories high, 90 feet deep, 30 feet wide. There, was, there were cisterns there that held water. There was one that held so much water, it could hold three million gallons of water. Did you hear that? Three million gallons of water in this cistern. Just look up Solomon's Simple. Just go to Google and look up Solomon's Simple, all right? Just check it out and you will go, that is incredible. It's an incredible place. So imagine, it was the most spectacular thing of its day. And, and, and try to translate that to today. Imagine the most spectacular architecture you've ever seen that stands today. Maybe you've been to the Parthenon in Rome. Maybe you've been to, or the Pantheon in Rome. Maybe you've been to the Empire State Building, the Taj Mahal or Spaceship Earth at Epcot. Whatever it is, is and you look at the architecture and you're like wow this is incredible imagine it's destroyed and now God says get to work rebuild it like let's do it again they're thinking what an impossible task I mean when you think about Solomon when he first built the temple he's the richest dude ever all right so like it's let's get gold together let's sit get silver together Solomon's just shaking his couch and thousands of tons of gold are coming out right like he's got the money he's got the resources he's the wisest man ever yeah I can make this work I can figure out how to build this building and then he's got connections he uses his diplomatic skills with other nations to say hey why don't you give me some of the wood that I can use in the Lord's house like he's got all these he's got all these resources Zerubbabel has none of those they were just exiled they were just they were just not even like they're still a minority and God's saying I want you to rebuild this temple he says get to work be obedient this task is way too big and God says get to work just be obedient and he says the same to us get to work be obedient you know this Wednesday we were talking to our students about Christmas we were talking about the wise men showing up and um, however many were many there were, but we know that they brought three gifts, and and so we talked about what's a gift you can bring to God this Christmas, and and honestly, He doesn't want an Amazon Echo or or Beats headphones or whatever. I do though, so if you're hearing me right now, check me out. But anyway, like. He doesn't want those things, and like, how would you even get it to him, right? Well, Amazon Prime would figure it out. But like, we, he doesn't want those things. What can we give him? We can bring him our obedience. And that's what God's saying to Zerubbabel. He's saying, bring me that gift. That's what I want. Just bring me your obedience. And Zerubbabel's going, this is my obedience right here, this little gift. I got it right here for you. This is this giant work that has to be done. This will do nothing for this. And God says, would you just be obedient? And, and again, we say the same thing to God. This is my obedience. My child is too far gone. This obedience will not do anything for that relationship. This is my obedience. This situation is too dark. This isn't gonna do anything to this situation. And so we start to despair. And this extraordinary thing that God's called us to, eventually now it becomes this burden because we look at it and we say, I can't touch this. I've just got this little gift, this little obedience. What in the world could God possibly do with this? Well, here's what I wanna do with our time today, the time we have remaining. I want us to look at what God says is available to those who bring their small gift of obedience to him. Look at what he brings to those who do that the first thing if you follow along you got your little handouts here the first blank is power look at chapter 2 verse 4 listen to what God says Zerubbabel has just said like he just like do you remember the house you remember how it's splendor and now you're looking at everything you're saying it's nothing what can we do God responds verse 4 yet now be strong O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord, be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work. 
for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. According to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. The spirit that was with them in Egypt, the spirit that toppled the greatest nation that, that anyone had ever seen up until that point, that spirit, God says, is still with you. The spirit who crushed, who who drowned an army in the Red Sea. The spirit who parted a Red Sea for them to walk on. The spirit who brought plagues on Egypt. The spirit who caused an entire nation to take its wealth, give it to slaves, and let them go. That same spirit who topples nations is with those who bring their gift of obedience. But the Lord continues. I would say he even kicks it up a notch. Look look in verse 6. For thus says the Lord of hosts, Yet once more, in a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations, so that the treasures of all nations shall come in. And I'll fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. God says, get to work, and I will shake the heavens and the earth to accomplish this work. You just be obedient. Give me your gift of obedience. The gold is mine. I'll bring the gold. The silver is mine. I'll bring the silver. I will fill this house with more glory than was in the former. I will do something you can't even begin to imagine. Bring your gift and I will shake the earth to accomplish my work. Isn't that incredible? That's the power he gives us. Bring your small gift of obedience and I will shake the heavens and the earth to accomplish my task. And doesn't he do that? Doesn't he do that? We, we bring our little gift of obedience. Jesus shows up and he shakes the heavens and the earth and he does something we couldn't begin to imagine. Think about Christmas. Look at Christmas. He turns a manger into a throne. He brings the shepherds along and in their song, their meager little song, little excited song, like, oh, this is great. The angels show up to sing with them. The magi bring what they think are the greatest gifts they could find, the gold and the frankincense and the myrrh. And they, they bring these priceless things and God makes their gifts even bigger. And now they have served for millennia as, as, as representations that God desires all men to be saved. We look at these strange men from the East and, they, and now they brought these gifts and God has now used them and blown their gifts up so that now every time we think of the Magi, we go, oh yeah, God's arm is not too short to reach those far away from him. That's what God does. We bring our small gift of obedience and he shakes the heavens and he shakes the earth and he brings the resources and he does the work. He blesses our gifts. I think about my wife who has a heart for students, loves student ministry. I remember this one time she shows up. She wants, to, she wants to impact students for Jesus. She can't do that. What can she do? Here's what she could do. She shows up. This girl comes into our youth ministry. She's a little bit skeptical. She doesn't know what's going on. She's a little bit skeptical of me, rightfully so. She's a little bit skeptical of my wife. Like she doesn't know what's going on. You know what Angela does? She changes that girl's heart. No, you know what she does? She's nice to her and she remembers her name. 
And then God takes that, that little gift of obedience. That's all I can do. I can be nice. I can remember her name. I can talk to her. And God does a work in her heart and brings her back and changes her and changes her life. And now she's a youth leader. Now she is impacting students. And where did it start? This small little gift of obedience. What would have happened if she just said, I, I, don't, I can't do anything. I don't, I, maybe I don't know the Bible well enough. Like I'm not a teacher. Like all I can do is come in and say hello. What in the world could that accomplish? And God took that gift and he shook the heavens to accomplish his work. I think about our food ministry that's coming up this Saturday that, that we get to feed all these people. We got to feed hundreds and hundreds of families. You know where that started? We used to have a maintenance guy here, Donnie, who was helping with our missions and, and the Lord just told him, you need to feed people. And he goes, okay, what's your plan? I don't know, but we're going to do it. And now look at it. Look at what God did. Donnie said, I will do, okay, I'll do it. And then the Lord kept showing him a step and Donnie would go, okay, I'll do that. Okay, I'll go have a meeting here. Okay, I'll talk to this person. And then God brought it all together so that this weekend, there are gonna be hundreds of families who are food insecure, who will leave here with food to feed them for several weeks. And it started where? Donnie didn't do that. Donnie didn't just wake up one day and he said, I know exactly what to do. I will bring the resources and I will bring the people. Come to me, I will feed you. No, we couldn't do that. God said, feed people. And Donnie said, how? And he said, I'll tell you. And Donnie said, okay. He brought this small gift of obedience and God shook the heavens and the earth and he says, the gold is mine, the silver is mine. I will bring it. You bring me your small gifts. You're calling to humble yourself you're calling to be generous even though you, you can't imagine being more generous. You're calling to invest your life in somebody even though you don't even know what that looks like. You're a little nervous about that. You're calling to love the person who hurt you the most. That calling, that's a wall, that's a mountain that you can't begin to touch. But if you bring your little gift of obedience, God says, I'll shake the heavens and the earth for you. I'll bring the gold, I'll bring the silver, I'll bring my peace. I, you'll see my glory in a way you couldn't even imagine before today. I mean, in Philippians 2.13, it says, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. God says, I'll do the work. You bring me your obedience, I'll do the work. And that's what God did. Zerubbabel just put stone on top of stone. He just did what God told him and there was greater glory. If you Google Zerubbabel's temple, you'll see it was not as beautiful as Solomon's temple. Now eventually Herod comes and builds up on it and it just becomes this incredible thing, but, but it didn't look very incredible. But God said, I'm gonna fill this place with my glory more than it's ever been before. What in the world did he mean by that? One day, the savior of the world was dedicated there. One day, the savior of the world was uh, taught there. One day the savior of the world revealed himself and revealed God to us in a new way that changed all of history in that place. God took Zerubbabel's little offering, his meager offering. Maybe Zerubbabel even died looking at that temple going, I don't, he talked about his greater glory. I mean, we, we, we didn't do enough. We need to do more. And God shook the heavens and the earth to accomplish his will. You are all called to something bigger than yourself. You're called to some obedience that's gonna cause you to look at this obstacle, whatever it is, and go, what could I, this little thing, you want me to do this? This isn't gonna do anything. This isn't a drop in the bucket of what needs to happen. But remember that his earth-shaking power is with the obedient. 
Uh, another example, just one more. You think about Peter being in the boat. Jesus comes walking on the water to him. And Jesus says, and he says, if, if it's you, Lord, call me to yourself. I'll come to you. And Jesus says, come on, dude. And Peter, what does Peter do? He takes one foot, puts it on the water, takes the other foot, puts it on the water. And what does Jesus do? Peter offers this little obedience. I will step out of the boat. And what does Jesus do? He bends the laws of nature to accomplish his will. Peter was obedient in the smallest way. You can't make yourself stand on water. I don't know, anybody in here think you, you can't, okay? You can't do it. I tried it. It doesn't work, okay? I stepped in there in that battery. I went right in the water, right? You can't do it. But Peter steps out with his little, what is this gonna do? This is a, this is a, a raging sea. What is this gonna do? He steps out. Okay, God, I'll be obedient. I'll do it. He steps out and Jesus bends the laws of nature to accomplish his task. He did what he told Zerubbabel he would do. He shook the earth to accomplish his will. So the God's, God's earth-shaking, nature-bending power is with those who bring him their gift of obedience. Be obedient, he'll bring you power. The second thing, he'll bring us passion. Look there in chapter one, verse 14. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord. They were obedient and the Lord stirred up their hearts. He brought them passion. He brought them fulfillment. Do you want to live a life of passion? Do you want to live a life where you're passionate and you're fulfilled? Of course you do. Who doesn't? Of course you do. Then if you do, this abundant life that Jesus has for us, we get there through obedience. We get there through offering uh, him our gift of obedience. However small, when the Lord says move, we move. And the Lord will stir our hearts with passion and fulfillment. I think about Christians who are bored with the Christian life. They're just out of work Christians. They're just not being obedient. I mean, when you think about it, we have an enemy who is all the time, 24-7, trying to oppress people, trying to hide the glory of God from people. And we have a God who is pursuing humans. You with me? It's kind of crazy. We have a God who's pursuing humans and setting them free, and he's using us to do that. That's happening all the time. There are people around you who need to be set free and God wants to use you to love them. God wants to use you as the light of the world to show them that his love is real and tangible and that they're valuable. That is happening all the time. So if you're a Christian and you're bored and you're not passionate and you're not fulfilled, I would say you're out of work. You're not being obedient. You're not bringing your gift of obedience to him. You're bringing it to yourself. You obey yourself. And we see that right here in Haggai. They were, they were obeying themselves. They were doing what they wanted. Look in chapter one, verse five through six. Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Listen to this. You've sown much and have harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one's warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. You live for yourself. I'm not gonna bless that and you won't be fulfilled. In fact, you'll be frustrated. Isn't that frustrating? 
Could you imagine how frustrating it would be having a bag, you're picking up all the stuff, you're collecting all the stuff, and there's just a hole, just keeps falling through, or to, to, to plant and do all this work and to come to the harvest and there's nothing? You want to live a life of frustration? The opposite of fulfillment, the opposite of passion, live for yourself. So truly happy are not those who work 60-hour work weeks so they can get a good paycheck and buy cool stuff. That's not what happens here. God will leave you frustrated. He'll leave you, uh, uh, he won't bless your efforts. It'll never be enough. Truly happy are not those then who fish every day and live lives of relaxation and vacation. You won't be fulfilled until you do what you're created for. Ephesians 2.10, you are God's workmanship created for good works. Good works, God works, works surrounded, that, that, that center around us bringing the love of God to other people. You were made for that. And until we do what we're made for, we won't live lives of passion, scratching off to-do lists and, and checking off bucket list items is not what God made us for. You were made for kingdom works. You were made for that. And until you do that, you won't don't live lives of passion. God won't stir up your spirit. Oh, cool, you bought another scratcher. I'm gonna stir up your spirit. Oh, cool, you're taking another vacation. Let me stir up your spirit. Until we start living for him and doing the kingdom work, we won't live lives of passion. But for those who obey, for those who say, okay, God, it's not about me, it's about you. I'm gonna step out of the boat. I'm gonna be obedient. Even if it's a small little piece of obedience, God says, I will stir up your spirit. You'll be passionate. You'll be fulfilled. I think about uh, a couple of people in our church. One lady in particular comes to mind every day. She wakes up and she says, God, what is the work you want me to do today? What's the work you want me to do today? This woman is passionate about Jesus. Go pray with her. You go pray with this woman, you leave there, you're like, I, I don't know what just happened, but I know Jesus was sitting right here. Like, I don't, I don't know, like, I'm ready. To, are we in heaven now? Like, she is passionate. She's so content and fulfilled. She doesn't wake up every day and go, how can I rest more? She's 91, she should, but she doesn't. She doesn't, how can I rest more? She doesn't sit there and go, my knees hurt, my back hurts. I can't hear very well, I can't see very well. I'm just gonna lay here. Instead, she says, God, I am here. What gift of obedience can I bring to you today? And she walks around more passionate, more fulfilled than most people I have ever seen because she's doing kingdom work. And that's what God does. He shows up and he fills people with passion. So do you wanna be passionate? Do you wanna be fulfilled? Then do what God says, do his work. Every day about his work, in your home, with your children, at work, with your friends, in your neighborhoods, in your retirement, whatever it is, we work for God's kingdom and he'll bring us abundant life. I have a, another friend of mine who, um, I have a, I, like a lot of people, we have a lot of different careers here in this room. I have some good friends who have some really boring careers uh, to me. Like um, I have a friend of mine who went to school way too long to study statistics, uh, which I, think, I just think he just made a mistake. All right, there's like a, guy, a lot of good things about him. Uh, and then he was like, I wanna find the most boring doctorate I can find. And that's what he did. And, I, and a lot of different people in this room have a lot of different careers. He's sitting right here. A lot of different people have different careers like that. A really good friend of mine, he's a librarian, which is just as exciting as it just said, sounded coming out of my mouth. But you know what? When I spend time with this man, the librarian, my spirit gets, gets excited. My, I'm stirred up. Why? Because no matter where he is, no matter what he's doing, he is about 
kingdom work. He's saying, God, I'm here, I'm doing this job, or I'm here, I'm with my family, whatever it is, here's my gift of obedience. I know it's small, whatever it is, but God, here it is. I just wanna please you. And God has stirred up his spirit so much that when you spend time around him, that passion is contagious. That passion is something I want. And so it comes to the point where I say, God, if you want me to be a librarian, to have that type of passion, I'll be a librarian. And God says, no, 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 it's not about that. It's about being about my work. You be obedient and be about my work and I will stir you up and you will be passionate and you will have a a contagious passion about you and a life of fulfillment. You think about Mary. Mary was obedient. God says, you're gonna have my son. And she goes, yep. And she just is obedient to God. And what happens? God gives her a song. She's so fulfilled and she has this huge passion. She's sitting in a cave. Her son is in a manger. She has a song on her lips. Her passion is overflowing. Do you want to live a life where your spirit is stirred? Then bring him your gift of obedience. The third thing he gives us is blessing. In in Haggai chapter two, at the start of that, he sends a message to his people and he kind of poses this question to the priests through Haggai. And Haggai says, if you take holy meat, meat that's reserved for God, meat that's reserved uh, for the temple, and you wrap it up in your garment, and you touch unholy meat with it, does that unholy meat then become holy? And they say, well, no. If you touch a dead body and therefore defile yourself, ceremonially, you're, you're ceremoniously unclean, you defile yourself, and then you touch other things, do you become clean by touching clean things, or do you defile the things that are clean? And they say, well, we defile the things that are clean. And God says, so it is with all of your works. And so think about it. Like they have, they've probably been observing festivals. They have priests. They've been observing some type of sacrifice, but God is, is clearly like, build my house. And they haven't done it. And so he says, everything you're doing, you don't obey me. So everything you do, you're defiling everything. And I'm not gonna bless that. That's why you've not experienced my blessing because you're not clean. You're not obeying me. And so everything you do is It's dishonoring to me, even the good things. You're touching good things and you're making them bad because you're not obeying me. But look at what he says in verse 18 of chapter two. Consider from this day onward, from the 24th day of the ninth month, since the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, since the day that they started to be obedient, they laid the foundation of the temple. Consider, is the seed yet in the barn? Indeed. The vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree have yielded nothing. But from this day on, I will bless you. What's he saying? Your past? I'm not blessing that. That's why I wasn't blessing you. You weren't obeying me. But you laid the foundation of the temple. You're doing what I'm telling you to do now. Consider from this day on, I will bless you. Your past will not determine your future blessing with me. You obey me, I start today blessing you. One of my favorite um, musicals of, of all time uh, is, uh, is Les Mis. Anybody like Les Mis? Anybody with me? Yeah, I just heard, I heard some fans because somebody, when you get an audible, oh, out of somebody, you know, you know they're a fan, right? I love Les Mis. In fact, yesterday I was driving to a, a family Christmas party. I was in the car by myself and I just cranked up Les Mis and I was just like singing my heart out. I am Jean Valjean and I just, I love, I love, love, love Les Mis. 
in that story, Jean Valjean, he's in prison. And it's the, the, the musical starts um, with Javert letting him go, this, this uh, officer of the law, letting him go. He's like, you've served your time. Um, and he says, here, by the way, here's your papers. And these will mark you for the rest of your life as a dangerous man. And so, for, and so if he had kept his identity, I don't want to spoil it for you, he doesn't. But if he had kept his identity as Jean Valjean and carried these papers around, they marked him for the rest of his life. And so his past marked his future. It absolutely did. He would never receive a job. He would never receive help from anybody because of what he did. And our culture is the same. And and my brain is the same. It's hard for me to imagine good things coming for me when I remember the things I've messed up before, when I remember the past that I have left behind. But what God is saying here is I don't work that way. This is a picture of God saying, I'm not gonna allow your past to end influence your future blessing. If you obey now, I will respond to your obedience. So maybe some of you have said, you know what? I have been disobedient for way too long. But as immediately when you answer that call to be obedient, to be the mentor of that person that God's put on your heart, to be obedient to the call, to share Jesus with that person that he wants you to do, to be obedient to that call, to step out and love and serve the person who has hurt you the most. When you answer that call, whatever it is, He says, that minute, I will respond to your obedience with blessing. I won't look at your past and go, well, I would bless you more, but remember what you did. He says, I will respond to your obedience with blessing. Obey the Lord, and the the Lord's response will be the same to you as it was to his people. But from this day on, I will bless you. You know, we're going to get to respond in song together and, and I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna ask us to do something in this. The band's gonna come back up. I'm gonna ask us to do something. Maybe, maybe you're somebody, um, the Lord's really spoke to you and this morning you need to surrender. Like maybe you've lived an ordinary life. When I was talking about being the, the midpoint of the American populace, like maybe you're like, that's me. I come to church or whatever, I participate, whatever, but like doing extraordinary things for God, being obedient and participating in extraordinary works, that's not me. Maybe today you need, to, you need to step out and say, God, I'm surrendering now. I haven't been called to an ordinary life. I've been called to a life that trusts you radically, that offers you gifts of obedience daily. And God, I'm gonna start doing that. Maybe for some of you, you know what God wants you to do. You know that little gift of obedience he wants you to give him and you've been holding on to it. If it was tangible, if, if you could have it, you know like it's got your fingerprints on it. It's dented from how tightly you've held it and you know that today is the day you've gotta be obedient. You've gotta give him that gift. And so here's what I'm gonna ask. We're gonna, we're gonna sing together. Um, we're gonna get to respond in song. I'm gonna ask you to physically step out of your seat and to come forward and to surrender. We have steps here, we have steps here, we have floor space here. I'm gonna ask you to step forward and surrender. Maybe, maybe it is, maybe it's renewing that commitment to God. Maybe it's saying, God, like, I don't want to slide into the ordinary. God, I want to continue to offer my obedience day in and day out. I want to participate in extraordinary works that only you can accomplish. Maybe that's you. Come forward.
come forward, kneel here. I, I don't know, just, just come forward and, and offer that surrender to God. Maybe, it's, maybe you need to come and let go of that gift of obedience. You know what he wants you to do and you haven't done it. His power, his passion, and his blessings are waiting for you right here. The minute you obey, they're waiting for you. So surrender. I don't know. I, I just, I just feel like, I just feel like our God deserves that from us this morning. So let's give it to Him, Lord. We want to respond how You want us to respond. God, we thank You for the work that You've done for us, and we thank You for the work that You've called us to. Help us be more obedient. Help us surrender this morning. The enemy we know does not want that. He wants us to keep building our own little kingdoms because he can topple those. But if we build yours, the gates of hell cannot prevail against the kingdom of God. Nothing can stand in your way. He doesn't want us to surrender. He doesn't want us to participate in the extraordinary. He doesn't want us to get a taste of what's so much better than anything we've ever experienced before. He doesn't want that. This morning, protect us from the evil one. May we obey. Lord, thank you for calling us. Help us respond well. We love you. It's in your name, Jesus. Amen. If you need to come, would you come?